Hey everyone, this is Wesley Town. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to Better Days Season 3. I'm here today with Diane Comer. If you don't know Diane, you'll be thankful today that you came across this podcast because she is one of the most influential people I've ever met in my life. Diane is an author of two books. One is He Speaks in Silence, which is the story she's going to share with us today. And then her latest book, Raising Passionate Jesus Followers, The Power of Intentional Parenting, which we'll talk about as well. She's also a teacher and communicator. And I would add, because I've listened to her many times, one of the best, and the co-founder of Intentional Parents, along with her husband, Phil, which is a nonprofit organization that invests in parents to help them raise passionate Jesus followers. Did I get that right? You did. Yes. She also is a new podcaster. So you need to check out their podcast, The Intentional Parenting Podcast. Great podcast. So many parents are being helped by it. Hi, Diane. How are you? Hi, Wes. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I just want to personally let you know I am so grateful and honored to have you on Better Days Podcast. We've known each other for a long time. A long time. I think you were about 17. 17 years old. I was a high school student who had started a Bible study at the same high school your daughters attended. Yeah. They started coming to the Bible study and Phil heard that I was a basketball player as well. Yes. So he started coming to my games and then all of a sudden he's like, hey, come over to our house. We'll cook you endless quesadillas until you're full. <laughs> yeah. That yes. was epic. It really did. And he just loved watching you play. You know, he loves basketball, kind of a frustrated basketball player didn't start till later so it was so fun for him to cheer you on Wes yeah oh and then through that connection you guys became mentors of mine and like family to me Uh, and I have to say that my life has been deeply enriched by you guys your encouragement your love your wisdom your prayers your friendship Um, I'm so grateful Yeah, well, we feel so much affection and love for you. And we feel kind of a little bit the pride of parents over you since we've got to watch you grow up and grow into ministry and see you and Kara just pour yourselves into church planting and discipleship and the teaching and all the things you've done. It's been really an honor to watch what God has been doing. He has a special favor on you, Wes. It's so clear. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you guys helped us start the church we started in Eugene, Oregon. You funded it. You gave us so much wisdom along the way. And uh, church planning is amazing and hard. Yes. Uh, And when it grows really fast, like Solid Rock did and Ecclesia did, it uh, has a lot of really unique, complex challenges that you guys helped us with. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's probably the most stressful thing that we've ever done is plant a church. And I think you feel the same. I echo that. So I would love for you to share a few fun facts about who you are uh, to help us who are listening get to know you. Well, so I've been married for 41 years. I married a a pastor. He'd already been in ministry a couple of years, and I met the love of my life, Phil, when I was 
well, I married him when I was 19, which just now having adult kids, I think that is absolutely crazy. (laughs) Serious and seeming limiter on the outside, but really terribly um, broken and wounded and immature on my insides. And it didn't take very long in our marriage to figure that out. Yeah. And then I have four children two sons and two daughters. Um, John Mark is the oldest. Um, and I guess you've had him on the, on the podcast. And then Rebecca and Elizabeth and Matthew, and they are my greatest treasures. I poured most of my life into raising them. And now I have seven grandkids who I absolutely adore and enjoy as much as I can. And like you said, I'm a writer. I dreamt of being a writer. Mostly I'm a reader. I love to read, have lots and lots of books. So to become also a writer is just a gift from God to me. I just feel so delighted. And we are in the empty nest stage of our lives and having the time of our lives right now. Not in church ministry so much anymore, although Phil does a lot of mentoring and discipleship of pastors, but now in this different ministry called Raising Passionate Jesus Followers. So we're at a good place in our lives. And you travel around the world doing conferences, right? We do. We do. Yes. We've gotten to go to some really fun places. And um, But I'm kind of a homebody. I mean, I just love to stay home. Phil's the adventure someone. I just kind of tag along. Now, here's a question. Do you read as many books as John Mark? Because I know he reads like three books a week. No, I don't read. I don't read as many as he does. But I probably get in a month. Oh, I probably am getting in eight to eight books a month, probably. I mean, this is what's so fun with the intentional. I get to read almost as part of my job. I'm the, I'm pretty much the, the content creator now. So I get the fun of saying, oh my goodness, this is my job. I'm reading these incredible writers and thinkers. And yeah. That's, so, that's a dream job for you. It is a dream job for me. Yes. So yeah. tell us your story. And particularly your story around He Speaks in Silence and your journey of suffering. Yeah, so it, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My parents were not believers when um, they were raising me. But, and I grew up in Europe for part of the time. Lived in Germany, went to international schools. And while we were there, we heard about this thing called the Jesus Movement in the 70s. And I knew that I wanted to find out what is this Jesus movement thing about? Why would, why would this be happy? Why would there be concerts and young people wanting to know Jesus? So when I came back to the United States at 15, um, I started looking for a church just because I thought, okay, maybe churches will be able to tell me not really having any criteria, but I stumbled upon a church where the youth there just um, embraced me, a shy, awkward girl from a different culture. And um, they really led me to Jesus. And um, I embraced what I heard at the time, which was Jesus loves you, God loves you, and has a wonderful plan for your life. 
And in my 15-year-old mind, that meant he's going to make my life go well. Suffering would not be part of that. Everything would be go well for me. He would protect me. I mean, I loved reading all the verses in the Bible and the Psalms, especially about him being a strong tower and protection. And I, I, I just adopted this sort of a theology that as long as I do everything that, I, that Jesus says to do, as long as I follow the rules do everything I think I ought to do, then my life would just go well, that God would protect me from any harm. So that was the probably the foundation of my faith. I'm trying to be this very good girl so that God will bless me. And by bless me, I meant everything will go well for me. So... I met and married Phil. I had these three children at first. Matthew wasn't born yet. Everything was going really well for me. I mean, I would have advised anybody probably in suffering, well, well, just look for sin in your life. See if there's something not lining up with God because then God will protect you, which is just horrible theology I now know. But deep down inside myself, myself that's really what I thought. And when I was 26, I just had Elizabeth, and I noticed my hearing just seemed sort of muffled. Um, I couldn't quite understand. It just seemed like everybody was mumbling and not talking loud enough. So Phil convinced me to go to the doctor and just have them checked out. And I, and I thought, okay, I must have had maybe an ear infection. Something simple, a uh, 26-year-old doesn't think about anything serious going on. And I went into the doctor and was told that I have a, that even by that time, a severe hearing loss. And here I was thinking it was just slight, you know, um, severe to profound already. And um, that they would do a, bunch, a whole long series of tests to be sure, but they were pretty certain that this was a sensorial neural hearing loss, which basically means that the nerves in my ears were disintegrating. And I stumbled out of the office just in shock. I, I didn't even know it was possible for a young woman to lose her hearing. And um, I didn't have any sort of framework to... Or, or structure, it, it didn't make sense to me. I went home and I told Phil about it, grieved a little bit, as much as I would allow myself to, and then just tried to do what I'd always done when things, something had gone hard, and that is just put a smile on my face. You know, that's kind of what I thought, and maybe that was kind of being taught a little bit in the 70s, just have a good attitude, just buck up, you can do this. But my hearing continued to fail over the next year dramatically. I mean, it felt like every month I was losing ground in hearing and like the world was just fading away from me. And I wasn't able to understand my children all of a sudden and could hardly participate in a conversation. And went back to the doctor, they did more tests, and they, that was when I finally heard the D word, as I came to call it, deafness, that they were pretty certain that I was 
going to lose all of my hearing if it followed kind of a path, a predictable path that I would probably, they thought at the time, lose all of my hearing within five years. And my faith absolutely fell apart. So here I am, pastor's wife, trying so hard to be good and perfect all the time. Three young children who I wanted to leave to to Jesus. I wanted to have a a close relationship with those kids. Um, and, And how could I do that if I'm deaf? And I just... Basically, all I can say is I just fell to pieces. It just wrecked me, which soon turned to anger, intense anger at this God who promised he would give me a wonderful life, a beautiful life, and would take care of me. And I had no trouble believing that he could heal my ears. He made my ears. It just made absolute logical sense that he could heal them. But why wasn't he? Why didn't he? And I, that fear, I think, and maybe self-pity turned to anger, turned to depression. Deep, dark, unassailable, black kind of depression, that this would be my life. But even more than being depressed about the disability, it was the extreme shock that maybe God didn't love me like I'd been told he loved me. Because... If he loved me, I reasoned, then he would take this terrible thing away from me. He would heal me. And when he didn't, I doubted two things. I doubted his love for me, but I also doubted his goodness. How could God be good and and not heal me? It was a terrible, it was just a terrible, terrible, dark time in my life where it felt like I was losing everything. Um, not just my hearing and my ability to communicate with my children, but my relationships. And more than anything else, it felt like I was losing all hope that God would take care of me. So I went finally. So I'm in this terrible time. You know, I'm an introvert. So I'm not necessarily showing it on the outside. I'm going to church and pretending, basically, because I'd been taught that almost taught that we are to pretend and not focus on ourselves. And uh, I went to church and while others are worshiping around me, tears are coming down my face, but not of tenderness, not of adoration, but tears of absolute rage that just was leaking out of my pores that God hadn't healed me, that he was letting this happen. And terrible disappointment that what I'd thought that he would take care of me in the way that I thought of taking care of, and that he wasn't. So Phil asked, he, Phil didn't know what to do. So he's watching his wife, who he thought at one time was so stable, just fall to pieces. And um, he asked me if I would take James chapter 5 seriously, and if I would come with them And if we could have the elders anoint me with oil and pray for me, pray for my healing. So I agreed. And on the inside, I was thinking, okay, so God's obviously not listening to me. I'm not good enough. He doesn't love me enough. But maybe he will listen to these men. 
these are really godly men, I thought, men of stature. And they're also our friends, so I knew them to be really the real deal. And I thought, maybe God will listen to them. Which, you know, I know, Wes, that you as a pastor would just be heartbroken if anybody listening to your teaching had so twisted it as I had. Um, but I did. I, I, went, I went with Phil after church on a Sunday night. And the elders gathered around me and anointed me with oil and just started to pray for me, not in some sort of a weird, um, hyper charismatic kind of a moment, but just this is what the scriptures say. We have Diane here who's going deaf. She's 26 years old. Let's, let's just pray that God would heal her. And it was the most amazing prayer meeting I've ever been in. These men just... They just laughed, they cried, they quoted scripture over me, they let me cry, they grieved with me, and they prayed that God would heal me over and over. Absolutely confident that he would, that he could. Well, so I'm there surrounded by these men who I know and love and so was with me. And all of a sudden, in the middle of their prayer of them praying for me. Now, you have to understand, this is, was an evangelical Bible church of the late 70s and 80s. There was nothing um, ever sensational or um, real emotional in an evangelical Bible church in the 70s. And as they're praying, um, all I can describe, and people who've experienced depression have said that they've seen the same things. It's almost as if there's darkness on the perimeter of your physical vision. Just me, everything seems muted. And as they were praying, I just feel like I'm pretty convinced, or I don't know, I guess I'm confident enough to say I actually know that I believe that, that the Father allowed me just the barest glimpse of the light. You know, he says that in uh, Second Timothy, he says that God sits on a throne of light. And I just think somehow with those elders, hands on my shoulders and my head and praying for my healing, that God just gave me this beautiful glimpse of, of light and words spoken over me, just as clear as if somebody was saying them with a booming voice where he, I heard God say to me, it's okay. Guy, Diane, it's okay. Over and over. It was so audible, so real, more real than anything I've ever heard in my life. No doubt in my mind that God was telling me it's okay, but in a firm voice, not like, oh, dear Diane, poor Di. It's okay. It's going to be okay, honey. Not like that at all, but more like a stern, fatherly voice telling me, Di, it's okay. And I knew, I knew within, without any doubt or any unknowing that God was saying no to my healing. He said, no, I'm not going to heal you right now. And there was this joy and a, a release in me um, that made the fact that I knew he was saying no to my healing absolutely joyous. This is the only way that I can explain it. Well, I went home not quite knowing how to explain this to my husband. Like, 
what had happened, I didn't really have words for it. Waited actually a couple of days to see like, was this like real? What had happened to me? Got up the next morning and all of a sudden opened up my Bible. I got up early to, to read my Bible and it just seemed like God himself was jumping off the pages. Whereas before I read the word of God out of duty and as a discipline, and because it was on my list of things that good people who follow Jesus do, um, all of a sudden now it, it was it, it was God speaking loud and clear and filling those places and healing broken places in me and coming alive like for the first time in my life, I think I had a real sense of God's presence with me, and which changes, you know, Wes, this changes everything. It changes the whole story. Um, um, and basically from there on out, I mean, it has been a story of me learning that all of my satisfaction comes from and is wrapped in Jesus. Not in my life going so well, not in all the things lining up the way they're supposed to, but really honestly and only in him. And, you know, my story for many years, Wes, that's really kind of the story of He Speaks in the Silence, is that in this silence that I didn't want, never would have wished for, prayed away, and was so disappointed that it was still there with me how he he met me in that place and has and he speaks with me in that place of intimacy i didn't even know that there was such an intimate relationship with jesus possible um until he met me there yeah i think i think just reflecting on your story and then our story karen my story there is a depth of relationship that is built in the furnace in the seasons of suffering that you didn't know apart from that experience you went through. And I think something like profound that you said that I resonate with is that when you're walking through suffering, it's a struggle and you go through so many different um, phases in that struggle, so many different emotions you have to process. But when you get to the point where you can embrace what you're going through as your reality, instead of fighting it. There's something so freeing about that. I know that I asked Kara, because I get a lot of questions uh, that people ask me for my podcast or on social media about suffering. And somebody said, hey, I'm going through long-term suffering, long-term chronic pain. Has there been anything that helped you? Uh, because it is really, really hard, just emotionally, relationally, every part of your life it affects. So Kara said, yeah, the, the thing that has helped me the most is embracing my reality and then making the best of my life with that new reality. And I think there's a freedom to that. There is. I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think that didn't come to me until that moment when the elders were praying for me, but it then for it happened instantly because when when your father is giving you that kind of glimpse of himself and saying, this is, I'm not going to take this away. I can't explain anything except that it's just so filled with love that you know that even though I don't believe God caused my deafness, uh, I think 
actually it goes way back to the fall and the DNA, sin entering my DNA. And he knew ahead of time that this was going to be my reality. And and I see his just goodness in, in what he's brought out of that. So I would agree. I mean, knowing I was going deaf in all likelihood, you know, doctors only know so much, but look like the pattern of deafness kind of freed me to be able to accept it and make some of the adaptions that I needed to make in my life that would come as the result of complete deafness. Mm. So, And it's amazing how you have redeemed the pain, the suffering, the hardship, your story, and you've used it. You wrote a book about it. You've encouraged so many people. And, that, and I'm, I'm learning from you because we're trying to do this to take the lessons we've learned, the pain that we've experienced, and to encourage people, help people, give people hope, give people actual tools to help navigate or concepts to navigate the hard seasons of life because hard things are hard. Hard things are hard. And what you're doing is so important, Wes, because I nearly lost my faith. And I look at my kids now who were like six, three, and a baby at the time, and they're all walking with Jesus. And I think, what if I had, in my anger, what if I'd walked away from these gifts that God had given me? And I just, I tell you, what, I'm never going to be the same person because I know how close I, at the time I thought I'm doing everything to be a good girl. And now I know that it's not even possible for me to be a good girl, so to speak. But in my brokenness is what God gave me this whole story of his grace actually being sufficient to even change me. And um, I just think now if I had just headed up, kept heading in that direction, I would not have this incredible gift I now of having these grown kids who love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and serving him and are leading their own kids to follow and serve him. And then, you know, what you're doing, you're teaching us, Wes, through your own story about suffering. And I felt like I had to dig for every bit of this. Back in the late 70s, early 80s, nobody was talking like this. We didn't know how to suffer well. And I see a generation, you being at the lead of it, raising up to teach us how to suffer well, because we will suffer. Everybody suffers. It's a universal reality. Let's transition into lessons that you've learned along the journey of suffering that you've experienced that you feel like will help people who are right now, whether they're at the early stages of their journey of suffering, or they're in the middle of it, they have no idea where to go, who to turn to, what to do. What are some things that you learned that would help people on their road of suffering? Well, I think we've talked about it before, Wes, a little bit about this idea of being honest instead of pretending. Um, So much of my faith at that time was pretending, but I didn't know it was pretending. Um, It was trying, it was striving, it was lining my life up by the rules. And I mean, you can see now looking back that I was headed for a collision um, between real life and, and what I thought life ought to be. Just knowing, first of all, knowing that we all suffer, 
No, there's obviously there's degrees of suffering, but nobody escapes life without suffering. And that it isn't God imposing or doing something to us. You know, there's so much pop theology comes out of people's mouths and it's, it's Satan uses it to separate us from the love of God because it sounds so right at the time, you know, oh, just, you know, trust God or um, God has a plan in this, which just sounds horrible to a sufferer. Yeah, you don't want to hear that. (laughs) Oh, no. Or the worst for me was when people would say, Diane, God is going to use this in so many people's lives. Wow. That just felt like the worst, almost like a slap across the face, because I would think, okay, I had a good dad. I had a really good dad, loved me well. I would think, what kind of father would hurt his daughter in order to teach somebody else a lesson? So that just, that kind of thing just created against me. Um, But one thing that I've learned in all of this is the most important thing is that he is honestly with you and present through it all. Whether you feel it at the time, you know, suffering brings out all sorts of weird emotions in us. Mine was anger. Others is just, you know, sometimes the pain. In my case, I haven't had any pain. But with some people with pain, you just are not in your right mind. and. Just knowing that he is with us always, even if we don't feel that he's with us. Um, For me, it set me off the path of trying to be so perfect all the time, which I think that is a faith that would have wrecked my children's faith. Because who really wants to follow this legalistic rulemaking, gotta be perfect mom? I mean, that's it would have been death to my children's faith. but I couldn't see that at the time. Instead, he showed me the darkness of who I really am, rule abiding as much as I am. He showed me the blackness. Actually, he didn't even show it to me. I saw the blackness in my own heart when I turned against God. And yet he has never stopped being with me and redeeming me through it all. So for me, the greatest treasure is is not that he will use it someday in somebody else's life but that he uses it right now to draw me closer to himself i I relate to those so much i think those are two of the greatest concepts tools realities i know that in our american culture we have shaped a culture that doesn't know what to do with suffering we have a really really poor relationship with the idea of suffering because it infringes upon our happiness which is the highest value in our society today and so we've been cultivated in this culture including all the jesus followers and it's interesting because i was just recently doing a lot of research on lament and lament psalms in the old testament and how god gave this prayer or this form of worship to his people so that they could cry out with emotions, honest, real, raw emotions, talking to God about their disappointments, their pain, their suffering, and the emotions behind it. And it's so interesting to me, if you read through 
all the laments, there's lots of them in the prophets and the Psalms, wisdom literature, all over, all over the Bible. God was not easily offended. No. People could yeah. be so real, honest, raw with God, express their anger, their hurt, their disappointments. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? And and yet God was not disappointed. He leaned into their suffering. He leaned into their pain. And I think that's a beautiful picture. It kind of represents what you're saying is that God is not afraid of our brokenness or the messiness that it is, because you know it's messy. Um he actually leans in and he's a God who is near to the brokenhearted. And I yes. love that. I love that too. It just makes you worship him when you know that you are the brokenhearted person. And and you didn't, and for me, in my case, I responded so badly. And yet he loves me. And you know, when I think about it with my own children and my grandchildren now, they can behave terribly. And it doesn't affect, doesn't make me love them less. But in my mind, I just didn't know that. I didn't know that kind of love. I just didn't know that kind of love. You know, John 15 talks about abiding in Christ. And abiding isn't a word that we really use in everyday conversation. I think the NIV translates it remain. But even that doesn't mean a lot to me. But I looked up the word once and one of the translations um, one of the ways it can be translated is to be present to. So being present to God, you know, when you're suffering, you are so present to God. It's just your whole heart is opened up because you need him so desperately and you're questioning him. And in my case, I was angry at him, but really maybe angry that life wasn't giving me what I thought I needed. Um, so being present to God, that is, that is probably the best lesson out of suffering is that there is a treasure in the darkness that maybe the people who've never suffered badly or, or been terribly hurt by that suffering and disappointment, maybe it's harder for them to grab hold of that treasure. What a great concept of being present. I love that translation too. So good. Um, Okay, so you have been a leader for a long time, you and Phil. You're also the mom of some incredible leaders who are influence, influencing not just people all over America, but around the world. Um, and you've probably been observant. So I imagine you've seen a lot, you've observed a lot of leaders along the way, and you've observed our culture today. What are some of your observations around the challenges leaders face today in our culture and within Christianity? I think one of the hardest things is this expectation of perfection. Like we're supposed, leaders are supposed to have it all together. All the relationships are supposed to be great. They never get impatient. They never lose their temper. They never make mistakes. Um, it's an impossible expectation. Um, and I think the pressure is worse than ever because of social, the rise in social media. People can be caught making a mistake on film. Um, or there's just this sense in our culture right now where we're calling out mistakes um, in a very judgmental way on Twitter, on Instagram, on just these little soundbites. We tell a whole story. 
And I think it's a hard time for pastors. I think it is hard time for pastors to live up to an impossible expectation. Um, I think it's also hard to to suffer publicly when you when you're like you mentioned, suffering is really messy. And it, and it's not, you know, I love the picture in the Bible of the idea that it's like gold beating heated up and then the dross or the imperfections um, rise to the surface. But in our culture, we, we hear, well, that's the real Wes, or that's the real Diane, or that's the real whoever. But that's not, that's not what the, the Bible pictures. It says it, God actually will allow some of that heating up and that suffering in our lives to bring up those imperfections so that he can skim them off the top and bring us into just a richer and richer fullness. Um, I think, I think it's, I think those are hard pressures in our culture. I think another thing for pastors is the expectation that they are both a shepherding pastor who's there for you the minute you suffer as well as this, you know, we used to call them radio preachers or, you know, somebody you would podcast are so great. And, and if that's not possible to do all that is superhuman. There are shepherds yeah, super. <laughs> and so superhuman. Yeah, and there are teachers, but, um, but rarely are those two it really possible in one man or one woman. Um, it's a challenging time. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Expectations, pressures, un, unreal expectations, things that nobody could live up to. I mean, I love how you say like, we're imperfect. We're all growing. We're all changing. We're all learning. We all have our issues, our own need for self-awareness. So I love that. That's so right on. And the way you paint pictures with your words, you say it far better than I would ever say it. So, Darren, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I want to encourage every listener to buy her book, He Speaks in Silence, to really get a more, even more in-depth look into her story and encouragement from her story. Also, check out their podcast. It is amazing. Everybody's listening to it. So you better jump on board. Do you have anything to say about that real quick? Oh, the podcast has caught Phil and I so much by surprise because it's my son-in-law, Brooke, who is hosting it. And they were talking to us about this new thing called podcasting. We just didn't get it. Why would anybody would want to listen to a conversation that we're having with each other? But it's now just become my favorite thing. It's just, we really are just recording a conversation between two generations, myself and Phil, and my daughter, Elizabeth, and her husband, Brooke, about this idea of raising our children, making, actually making disciples of our own children, and the messiness of life that goes as a part of that as well. And it's amazing because it's a medium that will reach more people than any venue you speak at. Uh, Somebody told me, Wesley, you know, as you transitioned out of Ecclesia and you started podcasting, you know, you're going to reach far more people uh, than you ever reached in one local place. However, I mean, I love the people of Ecclesia. I miss, but it has 
broadened my ability to encourage and help people like anything that I could have conceived yes. of. And even around the world, which is just, and you know what, the other thing I like about the podcasting is you're really basically, you're telling your stories and other people are hearing that story and the spirit of God is sparking something in them. And they are listening with one heart with you, even though we don't know each other. And that gets me excited for that day when we have the new heaven and new earth. And it's going to be just this one great grand celebration of each other and of Jesus and our Redeemer and Savior. And no more suffering, no more tears, no more. Yes. Unbelievable. Yeah. There is no better way to end this podcast than on those words right there. So I want to tell you, if you're listening today, I hope that you were encouraged. I hope that you found help and hope. So much love to you. There are better days ahead. Thanks again for joining me. I hope you were encouraged. I would love for you to help me to spread the word to bring hope for better days to as many people as possible. You can send a link to your family and friends, post something on your social media, and write a review on iTunes. Thank you for your support. I can't wait for you to join with me again next week for another episode of Better Days.